0: Hey guys, Dungeon Master Mitch here to tell you about Catacon's Kickstarter coming up this Thursday, April 21st. It will run through May 15th. Now this is the fourth Catacon that has happened, and you don't want to miss this one. The event itself is November 11th through 13th at the Dayton Convention Center in Dayton, Ohio. GM badges are available for $10 if you agree to run at least two events. Regular badges are $40, but there are also 100 early bird badges for $30. There are also 15 VIP badges, which lets you register early and enter to a Thursday night pre-event get-together with the RPG Academy faculty and friends. And best of all, you know who's going to be there myself, Chris, and we're hoping this year to have our buds, the DMnastic boys, Neil and Phil, to be there as well. If you went last year, you know that this is an event that you don't want to miss. And if you didn't go last year, then let me tell you as somebody who did, this is an event that you don't want to miss. So starting this Thursday, April 21st, check out the Akatacon Kickstarter and get your badge for one of the best conventions of the year. Thanks. And now here's the show.
1: Welcome back Blockheads to another edition of the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all of the players at the table. I'm one of your hosts, Dungeon Master Chris. And I'm Dungeon Master Mitch. And today we are talking all about monks. We're talking about the wonderful, fantastic world of monks, even though they might not find the world wonderful and fantastic all the time. But nonetheless, (laughs) we are going to talk about them. And Mitch, I think we're joined by a special guest today, correct? We are joined by a special guest. We're going to be joined by
0: a special guest that is actually a monk. His name is Hinju, and he has told us that his name actually means guest, so that's perfect for us. Uh, but Chris, I do have a little bit of bad news. Uh, Hindu's order right before he came on—he's with us right now. He's—he's he's here. I'd tell him to say hi, but Hindu's order asked him to take a vow of silence right before he came on the show today. So that's rather uh, he, unfortunate. He's, actually, he's giving us a thumbs up right now and smiling. I don't, yeah. Good thanks it. Oh, and it, and I believe
1: he's told us that he can type. So he'll be typing to yeah, us some of he, his things and we might we may or might not read up. them.
0: <laughs> so yeah, he's giving us a thumbs up again, so thank you, Hindu. And he for smiles joining a us. lot. Yeah, thank you. So uh we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we hope that you can give us some good Typing and
1: thumbs up affirmation. Before we jump into the meat today, we have some five star reviews from our fantastic listeners out there. And once again, we would have Hinju read one, but that just shake his head. <laughs> he, yeah, that would just not work out. He's 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 frowning a little bit. But uh, I'll read the first one, Mister Meeks. This one's by Charisma and Intelligent. Five stars. These guys are great. The information they discuss is relevant, useful, and entertaining top-notch so thank you very much mr meeks you are yeah. a fantastic fan of the show and we appreciate your five-star review <laughs> as well why is it not dm meeks hmm. who knows <laughs> our
0: next one comes from the uk and it is from aj walsh 17 entitled top-notch i've been dming two different games for a couple of months now and i've recently started listening to this at work a great resource for inspiration and ideas not edition specific which is great keep up the good work guys thank you so much aj we appreciate it
1: thanks aj but with no further ado we are going to jump literally jump using our kai or ki or chi or however you pronounce it points into the meat take us away Hindu. and he jumped (laughs) leave that in (laughs) you just leave the long pause in there (laughs) just i'm starving we ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days.
0: Yeah. Why can't we have some meat? Carve it Just a mouthful. No. <laughs> Looks like meat back on the
1: menu, boys. <laughs> So this week we are talking about The Monk, and The Monk is a very interesting class as it's gone through some love and hate periods by many D&D players. If you've been around since the beginning, you know many of these changes that have gone on. Some of you love it, some of you don't, but the original Monk character class was created by brian bloom and it was inspired by the martial arts of the destroyer series of novels which i did a little bit of research on those and they sound like a really really cool (laughs) series to go and read and i i might actually do that
0: on audible perhaps Uh, On audible perhaps yeah you
1: could go and find it on there so the monk was the main character class in the first edition player's handbook the monk was presented as one of the five core classes that you could play in the original player's handbook that came out so it's been around from the beginning despite it. It's disappearances and appearances, but we'll touch on those very briefly here in the future.
0: So in 1985, the next official revision of The Monk appeared as a character class in the first edition Oriental Adventure
1: rulebook by Gary Gygax and David Cook. And so apparently there were some things that were wrong with it in the very first original <laughs> series and Hindu shaking his head. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I think that's really cool that, you know, this has showed that D D cares enough about the things that they come out with to say, hey, we made a mistake. Yeah. We need to change this a little bit, which is really cool that they went ahead and did that. And the monk was unfortunately dropped as a standard character class in the second edition. It wasn't a part of the original series of classes that came out. Which is unfortunate, and once again, Hinju is very, very upset, because he loved loved the monk class so much from the very beginning.
0: I'm not very familiar with first edition, so actually it's kind of a surprise to me that it was one of the original classes. Like, that wouldn't have been my guess that the monk was one of the original classes, but that's really cool. The monk was also then reintroduced, so it was dropped for second edition, but it was reintroduced in the Scarlet Brotherhood for the Greyhawk
1: setting, along with the assassin class which is also one of those that people really really love and, yeah. and i, <laughs> I kind mean of assassins
0: in... are sweet but we're talking oh, about yeah. monks here uh, yep. Hindu shaking his head he doesn't like assassins yeah, he doesn't <laughs> like assassins
1: some monks like being assassins but <laughs> hindu is not one of those and then with the release of the third edition rules the monk was reintroduced as a staple class as well
0: and then of course in fourth edition the monk class didn't come out into the third player's handbook however fifth edition Starting it off right, we've got the monk right away, which is awesome. Chris is playing Sonjen as a monk in the Voyage of the Ending Sea right now, and I believe you are just loving the monk class. Really, and- I
1: really, really like it so much so that I'm like, man, I love the diversity in the paths you can yeah. take, and I wish I could be all of them, which is something that I just like in general about 5th yeah. Edition, that you can play a monk and it's not the same monk as you played last time. Like You can just diversify it so much by... <laughs> changing a different path you can go on.
0: Uh, Hindu has typed, we are a very diverse and amazing people. (laughs) Okay, thank you, Hindu. We (laughs) appreciate that. Yeah, so let's talk about what makes monks great and the things, Chris, that like I know you will have a really strong opinion on this, that make the monk great and what is amazing about a monk mechanically in-game, but also role-playing, because that's what we're really really focused on role-playing as these characters and as the DMs, how we can make NPCs of monks that are interesting to our players.
1: What I love about monks is they're so very mobile. After their first couple of levels, they gain... 10 feet of unarmored movement if they're not wearing armor they can move even faster if you're not wearing armor they have a lot of these bonuses for not wearing armor and if you don't wear armor you get like your dexterity and your wisdom modifiers as your ac it's just really cool that these people that don't wear armor have been able to master their bodies in such a way that they're still very very difficult to track down and to hit and it's just a really cool attribute that they have as monks and they gain additional movement speed as well so they gain they can gain all the way up to 30 feet of extra movement throughout the course of their 20 levels that are listed in the player's handbook, which is very, very interesting and very, very cool in my mind.
0: Well, then you can take the feet for faster movement and add on another 10 feet for that. Basically, I just think of these monk characters as being super agile, super fast. They're the ones that are running around the city doing parkour in the alleyways because they can. And, like, you know, to chase after a monk would be a very, very difficult thing to be able to catch up to them unless you are a monk yourself because they're just super fast.
1: I've even seen really cool builds that people have made online that it's like this is specifically called the ninja class. So Mm -hmm. when you think of people running through the cities, I always think of the ninjas that are dressed in black that you know run on top of the buildings and <laughs> yeah jump you know, from, roof to roof, jump from and... roof to roof and use cool grappling hooks you know that's kind of what i think of when you think of unarmored movement and unarmored defense and all that sort of thing it's really interesting
0: well that's a good point for the dms out there because i don't think and chris you can correct me if i'm wrong on this because you are more familiar with the monk class than i am but i don't think there's anything specific in the monk class that says like because they can move quicker and such that they can jump better and that kind of thing however to me it makes a lot more sense that if a monk is moving quicker and they are about to like jump a gap from a rooftop or something like that they would especially being unarmored and everything being unhindered by weight i would as a dm absolutely if that was pointed out to me by a player that was a monk i would give them advantage or like a bonus to jump because in those kind of situations it's just that they are more athletic in those kind of situations than others are
1: Well, they even get so athletic at one point in time that once they get to a certain level, they can move up vertical surfaces and across liquids at the same speed that they can run. So it's pretty cool. Like you can do that without falling during that move. So it's like you could move a complete round up something or across liquids, which once I get to level nine with Sanjin, I'm totally running out on the water and then back just for the heck of it (laughs) because he can.
0: (laughs) So what you're telling me, Chris, is that
1: Jesus was a monk. Totally. <laughs> According to D and D, yes. According to D. He was, to D&D, he was okay. able to do that. But <laughs> he was cool. so he was so high level <laughs> that he never had to worry about his turn ending and therefore never sunk. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We've yeah. solved the world's mysteries of, you know, how that all happened. <laughs>
0: OK, so one of the cool things about monks and Chris, I know that you're loving this about your monk and you're I always hear you saying I use a Kai point, and, oh, I totally. a chi point this, <laughs> and I use a Kai point for this and I use a Kai point for that. But monks have this magical well, they don't specifically have this magical energy because apparently this magical energy is an energy that exists inside of all living Things. And so this energy is called Kai, and it's this magical energy that is inside all of us. And so, what monks do is they train themselves to attune themselves to this magic, to be able to control this magic, to be able to use this magic. And it allows them to use their bodies and their physical strength in a much more effective way than normal people would. And so that allows them with their unarmored attacks to make much stronger punches. And that's why monks are punching in strong fashion because they're using the Kai energy inside of them. That would also make me once again think that they are able to jump higher and whatever it is. But I love this idea of harnessing this magic that everybody has, but hardly any people know how to use. And it's like this discipline of learning how to use this Kai magic and I also like it because we think of you know in D&D you have adventures with you have this paladin with a vorpal sword and how is a guy who punches with his hands ever going to compete with that but in the sense of these are people who have trained themselves to use the magical energy of Kai inside of them you can think it's not just a guy who's trained himself to be able to punch well or to kick well. This guy right. has harnessed that energy inside of him to be able to use moves. And I think of also weak points that they know where the weak points are in people. And they're able to do that Star Trek move, the
1: Vulcan neck pinch or whatever <laughs> right. it is, and just knock yeah. somebody out. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's really cool about the Kai strikes too is eventually you've learned how to harness this so well that your attacks become magically infused. So like if something has resistances to like yeah. bludgeoning or slashing or whatever, your fists are now or your your kicks are now treated as magical attacks and ignores those resistances, which is really cool and really effective because otherwise like you're just going to get outscaled so much. And it's a reward for being able to harness these abilities within you. And it's really cool that they give you this progression too as you're playing a monk, like as you gain more and more levels throughout your campaign. They reward you by saying, okay, you are getting more and more control over the Kai that's in your body, and therefore you have more of it to expend. And I think of it as almost like a mini adrenaline shot every time they do it. Like, they've been able to do these things so well... That they're able to do things that they wouldn't normally be able to do. Kind of like what happens when you get scared or something tragic or terrible is happening and the adrenaline kicks in and your body's able to lift things that are heavier than what you thought you could, or you run faster than what you thought you could or whatever. Like I, That's kind of how I view this stuff. You know, you, you, when you said that it's something that inhabits every person, I was thinking like, oh, chlorides, like how many <laughs> of them does each monk have with it? You know, but it's more so like you're able to harness it with you and not use his it. head at you. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. He's like, we don't talk about Jedi where I'm from. We don't talk about midichlorians. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I really love the fact that Kai points are a thing now, and it's a really cool thing that players can harness and be able to use within their monk class as well. And I think one other thing too that I really love about the monk class and all of the classes in 5th edition for that matter is the idea that they now have paths or schools that Mm -hmm. you can choose within the classes that you're playing. And so the monk has three different really unique ones and they each allow you to play a different sort of monk as you're going through your campaign. And so they have the way of the open hand, the way of the shadow, and the way of the four elements Each with a really, really cool name and each with a very, very different play style as well. So the first one we're going to talk about is the way of the open hand. And many times people take this one and they kind of focus to be more brawlers or like assassiny type people or the people that kind of enforce the law. They're very heavy-handed, kind of to play off of the open hand a little bit. They have learned how to master the art of their fists and their bodies, and they are able to do things with physical power that a lot of the other monk classes don't do nearly as well. And so, pretty much as you go through this thing, every single thing that you end up taking has to do Your body or physically being able to do something like one of them has the ability to like the open hand technique is really cool because you can then stun people you can knock people prone you can knock them backwards like all of these cool things because of the sheer power and ferocity that the Kai develops within you as somebody a part of the way of the open hand. You can do some really cool things because of that that are physical. You have the ability to heal yourself at one point in time and the ultimate reason why, if I'm honest with you, Mitch, that I chose to play (laughs) A Way of the Open Hand is the ability to one-shot KO somebody at the level 17 or (laughs) higher. It's, It's pretty cool. If you haven't read it, basically what you do is you hit somebody and it sends vibrations through their body that you can decide to dispel at any point in time and they'll just die. On the spot. Like, they just fall over dead. And it's kind of cool, kind of weird, and seemingly overpowered a little bit. But it also costs it a lot of It is level 17. <laughs> it is also level 17, so you should be able to do crazy things like that. But I love the idea of the way of the open hand basically being that sort of brawler or, you know, potentially the meat shield because of the ability to dodge really well or being the people that can sneak in really, really quickly easily and you know the way of shadow has that too but being able to be more of the assassins because of the sheer power that they pack behind each punch or kick and also being the law enforcers is a really really cool idea as well because most times you don't think of monks being law enforcers necessarily like people with riot shields out on the streets do not look like the typical monk that you (laughs) you would you would think of
0: yeah they remind me completely of that discipline that we were talking about like you're disciplining your body to be the best that it can be. And they also remind me that they are the ones that know those weak points on your body and where exactly to hit and how to hit. I mean, that is exactly what the quivering palm move is. It's all about hitting them in the right way and using your Kai energy inside of you to hit them so that they pretty much go down in one hit. (laughs) And these are the kind of monks that have that I don't even remember what movie it's from but there's a movie out there somewhere that there is a monk power that you can hit the person in the right way and it makes them poop themselves
1: this is that that's, monk. The, that's the movie hot rod isn't it is that what it is yeah <laughs> that, it's from the movie hot, like rod. hot rod but yeah, yeah. Like and it's like i call upon monks. the call upon the uh Earth powered an- or the earth animals or whatever house cat, dolphin, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all of dolphin. these crazy things. Yeah, it's really, really cool.
0: But these monks would totally be the ones that would come up
1: with the poop punch or whatever. You I say. think that's Andy Sandberg, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that's Andy. Yeah. Sandberg. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah,
0: sensei. I have a question Is there a tai chi move that would make a grown man craft his pants and not know why?
1: Not gonna lie to you, Rod, that move does
0: exist. The next one is the Way of Shadows, and like Chris said, these monks are all trained about being very, very sneaky, sneaking into places, hiding in the shadows, they have teleporting abilities, that's completely what these monks are all about. In fact, the 5th edition DMG describes them as, these are what you would think of as being those like ninja-type monks, as well as... Those monks that would be assassins. Once again, we got Hindu. He's shaking his head. He's typing. He says he doesn't like these kind of monks as much. They're usually mean, he says.
1: (laughs) Very deceptive as well. That's kind of what he's alluding to. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. We
0: understand Hindu. However, we have to talk about them because they are in the DMG. But I, sorry, Hindu, but I really like these. (laughs) I like these kind of monks. I think, obviously, I think of this. Type of monk. They wouldn't be the monks that live near your town or in your city that would be like those law enforcers, but these would be those monks that live in isolation that they might have, their master of their order might have like their own agenda and so these monks would go out and they might be warring with other monks whatever it is but i mean that calls to mind for me
1: those ninja-like
0: monks very much
1: well what's really interesting about these ones is they tend to hire out their services too so it's really interesting that like rich nobles will come to them to do a deed and they have to pay them because overall, that's kind of a weird concept for a monk to care about worldly and earthly possessions like that. So it's kind of like the way of shadow is kind of like ah, uh, there's, you know, not to be very punny or anything, but there's kind of some gray areas. There's there's some shadowy areas of these monk classes as well that they kind of seem to feed off of a little bit. One of those areas being Sometimes people pay them for their services and stuff. So the way of shadow is really, really cool. And I love the ability that they can teleport from shadow to shadow. These were the yeah. two of the monk classes that I was trying to choose <laughs> between when I was thinking of playing Sonjin. Because I was like, all right, would he be a way of a shadow? Would that be really useful out here on the boat? You know, are we going to have a lot of times where it's like, hey, you're on the deck fighting something <laughs> and there's... A shadow from the mast, and that's the only area that you can yeah, jump right. to, you know. It's <laughs> I thought about it, I was like, that seems a little bit more practical to do the way of the hand, but
0: <laughs> well, and you said it right there when you said that this is not the typical monk that we think of. And I think that's because previous editions of D D have got us so much in the mindset of the monks being these tranquil, like they fight. Because they need to almost like I think we've gotten the mindset that they are peace lovers and Hindu is shaking his head right now. I guess he is. uh, (laughs) He is very much into the (laughs) way of peace. But however... What I love about 5th edition and the breakoffs of all the different classes is 5th edition has really just embraced the idea of let your players play the kind of characters that they want. Don't be the guy who says, oh, you want to be a paladin. I'm not going to let you be a paladin if you're going to do this or you're going to do that. And go back to our paladin episode to hear us talk about that more in depth because me and Kayla both felt that paladins should be lawful good but that you can work with your players to make different types of paladins. But that's kind of what they're doing here with the monk. They're saying not all monks need to be the generic monk. And it opens up the world for your players to be different types of characters and different types of moralities within having the same kind of base class. And it just it's all about the role-playing opportunities that it offers to it. And going along with that, it opens up our minds as the DMs to go, oh, the Way of Shadows. Oh, the way of the four elements, which we'll talk about. Oh, the way of the open hand. These are all monastic orders that I can have in my world. And they're going to be very, very different in the way that they operate. So there are going to be all different types of monk NPCs in our world. And that is awesome. I love that about fifth edition.
1: Well, I was thinking too, like the thing that I like most about the monk class, having different classes and things like that is you could essentially run the same campaign over and have a very different way of getting to the end result because mm-hmm. people chose a different path. So you could do yeah. the way of the open hand where the guy goes in and just tends to beat things up or whatever, or you could go the way of Shadow, and he is very deceptive and sneaky and mm-hmm. you know goes about things very differently, and that could create totally different... You, know, you, you go in openly punching things, people are going to hate you for that. You go in and you way of Shadow your way in, people may not know who the culprit is behind there and so then there's rumors spreading all over the city and whatnot but we're getting ahead of ourselves we'll (laughs) talk about more of those things in a little while but i do want to just say one thing i really like about the way of shadows that
0: you kind of just made me think of chris is that too often when we're dming a game and there are players like the rogue whoever's playing the rogue i feel like too often at least in my experience has gotten the bad end of the deal because the rest of the group is fighters or wizards or whatever that they don't sneak around that's not their thing and so they just want to bust down the door and go in and fight however a monk that takes the path of the way of shadows is going to be a really good friend to the rogue in the sense of they want to go about sneaking in together and they're going to be able to sneak in together and i think it'd be nice for the rogue to not just have the whole group just go, nah, we don't want to do that. Or, yeah, you can go by yourself. But to have another character that can sneak ahead with him and be part of that role-playing opportunity with him. And I like that a lot.
1: Well, and I think one really cool thing to talk about before we move on from the Way of Shadow, and this deals a little bit with monasteries, which we'll talk about in a little bit, is the Way of Shadow, the heads of their monasteries, they require and expect the unquestioning obedience of their students. They expect the unquestioning loyalty of their, the unquestioning obedience of their students. And I think that's really, really interesting because you think of like these chaotic or possibly like deceptive or sneaky groups or whatever. They always seem to have the most loyalty amongst their ranks. Like it, it, for whatever reason, that's kind of portrayed in most movies. Like the people that are the most deceptive and sneaky tend to have the highest order of hierarchy and the most loyalty from all of their participants in their group. I think that's another really interesting element to the Way of Shadow that shouldn't be easily overlooked. That could make for some really interesting role-playing opportunities for your players that are playing the Way of the Shadow monks.
0: This is very much League of Assassins from the DC comic book universe, with Ra's al Ghul being the master of this monastery in Batman Begins, that place that Batman or Bruce Wayne originally trains that, that is definitely a way of the shadows type monastery. Absolutely. Watch that if you want some inspiration.
1: The last section of the monk class that you can decide to choose that you can decide to play as is the way of the four elements. And it was funny as I was reading through these and like reading up on things online and stuff, a lot of people were like avatar, like this is, (laughs) this is what it is. This is what we've always wanted. We've wanted to be able to play avatar in a D and (laughs) D setting. And this is very much like, this is kind of what it reminds me of. It's the way of the four elements. And what's really interesting about these is You choose to focus your Kai in such a way that you align yourself with the forces of creation, which is so cool to think, like, you can control and manipulate fire and earth and water and air in ways that, you know, some wizards have the ability to create things like this like you can create fire spells you can create water or whatever but they're all creations that kind of dissipate after a while and with the way of the four elements like you're using real earthy things to be manipulated in such a way that that helps you and betters you as a a person and as a monk it's really really cool And so some of the members of the tradition, though, decide to dedicate themselves to a single element. But at the same time, others of them tend to weave in all four elements in varying degrees. And I thought this one of the cool things about these, and I think about Karab, your old wizard barbarian guy Mm -hmm. who had his spells all tattooed on his body. This is kind (laughs) of like what the monks do of the way of the four elements is they tend to tattoo their bodies with representations of their Kai powers. So like when you think of traditional... Japanese tattoo art, like with the dragons wrapping around their body, or, you know, it also uses phoenixes or fish or plants or mountains or cresting waves. Like they basically use their body as really cool canvases for artists and tattoo artists to do things on their body. And I think that's just absolutely amazing because you're going to walk up to some of these people and they're going to be the most artistic looking people that you've ever seen in your life and you're immediately going to know something is very very cool about this person it could be you know we'll talk about npcs in a little bit but that could be a really cool hook for some of your players yeah. or a really cool use of things that their players have decided to put on their bodies as well it could be a really cool role-playing moment for their characters as well
0: well and i think these monks are not tattooing themselves because they're just like ah, oh, i like tattoos bro uh but they are very very <laughs> much like every tattoo every line every color of that tattoo is going to be something super meaningful to them and this is something we should as dms take into account if we're having a player who decides to take the way of the four elements because if you have players that I like really like to talk with you about their characters and their character development talk to them about do you have any tattoos and get them to start thinking like what is the meaning behind that tattoo does that signify something important in your life or something about your belief about the elements or a God that you worship. What is it about that tattoo that is important? And that being said, if you are creating NPCs that are monks that follow the way of the four elements and they have a tattoo of a fish on their chest, have a story for it. <laughs> like have it in mind. Yeah. If the players ask, have it ready or because players never ask us the questions about things that we have prepped for, just bring it up. (laughs) (laughs) All stuff that we prep for they never have questions, but then they want to know what that shopkeeper's apprentice's name is that we never even thought of because that's that's how
1: players work. Right, that's how they operate. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah. have
0: meaning behind those tattoos because it's not just about throwing a a fish on your chest. It's about something much more meaningful.
1: Yeah, they could all have really, really cool stories behind them. And maybe that's part of the monastic tradition is you know you could create this within your way of four elements that's within your world like each time somebody does something significant there might be like a tattooing ceremony or something where that story that you just had is now an official part of your history because it's inked on your body there's so many things within the way of the four elements that you could help officiate storytelling Mm -hmm. within your nights that you play there's so many cool things
0: i love even just being a blend of you brought up Karab, and Karab was my multi-classing attempt to make a fighter slash wizard mix and i really enjoyed it it. but that's what this way of the four elements is it's a fighting slash wizard type mix that you're getting spells but you're also getting fighting moves and i just love that you're you're harnessing the power of nature to use in your fighting and some of the spells are just so cool and thinking about how it is portrayed in monk form and as dms we should explain it in those ways like i'm looking at one of the spells is ride the win and that's one of the traits for one of the way of the four elements and in simple terms all it is is you spend four Kai points to cast fly targeting yourself but to me I wouldn't just have that as a monk NPC I wouldn't just say and he uses four Kai points and he all of a sudden starts flying I would probably describe it more along the lines of and this monk starts moving his arms and a small cloud of wind forms underneath him and I'm immediately thinking of the nimbus cloud from Dragon Ball Z like and that's what it's he's so flying funny. through you were about That's what Doug you were Dragon thinking about Dragon Ball Z
1: no, <laughs> I was just thinking like they always fly in this world <laughs> and they're all martial artists These guys are super Saiyans. Yeah, right. That's what they are, (laughs) right? I was looking, I was like, man, is there a spell that makes their hair stand on end and start on fire, huh? See, I'm thinking of Krillin. That's what, like, they look like in my mind. They have the dots on their head, and they're bald. And And they just die all the time. And in your world, (laughs) you have a Krillin kill counter for each of your monkey. Yeah, it's great.
0: But as DM, like, don't just look at these things and be like, oh, they can use these things, and they cast these spells. Like, Fangs of the Fire Snake basically makes your hands make fire damage when they punch. Well, you can just say, and you take four fire damage, or you can describe how the element of fire is coming around the fists of this warrior. And as he's punching, you can see the fire being manipulated into the form of a snake with an open mouth that bites down upon their victims like as they touch themselves to give themselves stone skin the spell describe how maybe their skin changes into literal stone that's not how the spell exactly works but why not when you're a dm and you're trying to add lore and an element of getting deeper into the lore of who these characters are and who these monks are into your world Go for it. That's such a cool thing. You have things like the gong of the summit where you can use three Kai points to use shatter. Like I just think of a monk clapping his hands together and a sound just ringing out (laughs) that breaks certain objects.
1: I love the idea that you can just say these things once. Like when you said the imagery of the fangs of the fire snake, like all it takes is one time for me to hear something like that. And that's immediately what I picture Mm -hmm. every single time from then on out. Or you have it the one time that somebody, you know, their skin turns into, like, gray stone, and then whether it stays on them that way, or it's like they break out of that, and now all of a sudden they have stone skin, like, it takes one time for you to say something like that, and that's what your monk character thinks about every time. That's what the rest of your players can potentially think about the rest of the time, like you punch and the snake comes out you connect and the snake wraps around the body and bites them on the shoulder or something with fire dance like it's just so cool to think about the imagery that you can help create using the way of the four elements and all of the classes for that matter of fact
0: yeah paint that picture as a dm and and this goes for any type of move or spell or class this isn't just specifically monk i think it's just the way of the four elements to me just brings to mind immediately it's so easy to paint a picture that is awesome and filled with magic and just awesomeness (laughs) but yeah like you as the dm should be painting the picture for your players and being a role model to them to as they play through things like a monk who takes the way of the four elements to role play and to paint that picture for the other players and you as the dm as well
1: yeah or ask them to describe it too yeah i mean you ask them to describe it and it even solidifies it that much more in their minds yep because they might have something totally different and way cooler than what you could ever think of
0: yeah i mean or they might even add on like maybe you described a monk that they're fighting That is using its snake attack Fangs of the fire snake Maybe they're doing the same thing However their monk You can obviously tell That the snake is a cobra's head Like it might just have A little bit different Because the player goes I kind of like the idea Of this being the way it is Maybe their fire is blue Whatever it is, your players can bring to the
1: table images that you weren't even thinking of. Or as you get stronger and stronger, the snake turns into a bigger and bigger snake. It might not do more (laughs) fire damage, but it's something like to move along, showing that you have more Kai, Mm -hmm. that you're able to harness your Kai better you're able to make your attacks look even more menacing as you hit them and strike. (laughs) Whoa. Oh,
0: man. Hindu is making a snake fireball with his fist right now. That's That's really impressive.
1: Wait, I thought he was way of the open hand that's what he was he must be mixing
0: it <laughs> <laughs> he's shaking his head <laughs> he's <it>. oh <laughs> he's he's typing to us just no way of shadows for him oh okay so he's everything about that yes he's breaking <laughs> the rules of fifth edition as we speak <laughs> so as dms when we're creating Monks as NPCs, monks are going to have monasteries and monasteries when you're world building is something that you should be thinking about where monasteries are, what the culture around the monastery has developed that monastery into. Like, I mean, if you're on a tropical island with volcanoes, you better believe that there's going to be a way of the four elements monastery there that focuses on the element of fire and you better believe that it would be awesome if there was a monastery built in or on a volcano in that world and that these monks are <laughs> i mean a newcomer that would really suck for because that is a disciplined lifestyle but like they have trained themselves to live super close to the element of fire and to use and harness that
1: power so i'll give you an example from the solarian islands yeah i have a monastery that is specifically focused around water and it's on a boat that can float from island to island. I love the idea of monasteries. And so when we were coming up with this episode, I was like, Oh, I don't have much created with it, but this is an awesome idea that I hadn't thought about yet. And so I created one that's on a boat that can travel from island to island and whatnot. There's so many cool things you can do with monasteries.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's like the culture around it and the environment will speak to what kind of monastery that is. And then you look back at the way of the four elements or the way of the shadow or the way of the open hand. And how does that affect where and what your monastery looks like? A way of the open hand, they might be in the center of a village, their monastery because they are there to protect the people of that village a way of shadow guild might be up in a cold mountain somewhere like in batman begins where only the brave and the strong-willed can get to and train with them and many die who try to get to them and they might not even be in a place where people know about them
1: Right. That would make a lot of sense because they tend to be seen more as more deceptive than anything. So I like that idea of it being in an area that people wouldn't know about, or even it's something that's in broad daylight that is disguised as something else. Something else. else, But it's really used as a monastery for the way of shadow. (laughs) Be really interesting. And so even more so than that is you could think about if you don't have these specific elements like an island or something like that, you could have your monasteries that focus just specifically on a certain area of the monastic tradition. So you could have one that specifically thinks about training in the martial arts as a means of defense or a means of offensiveness or whatever. And they could really focus on making sure that you have tranquility of body and what is your philosophy on life and things like that. You could have monasteries that in a certain part of the world, this is a really big focus for them.
0: So some monasteries are focused on a specific deity. It might be in a way kind of like a paladin order only it's monks and they are there to focus on following the ways of their deity i can think of like a monastery that is focused on a deity having like one specific purpose maybe they're a monastery that is built in the middle of nowhere somewhere that's difficult to reach because they are guarding a secret text of their god or a secret artifact of their god and they would die to protect it but that's all do they they worship their God day in and day out and pretty much that's all they're do with their live until somebody shows up at their doorstep trying to steal that secret text or secret artifact and then they will fight <laughs> with their entire lives to protect
1: it. And I think too, something really interesting is you could focus on the discipline of your body as well. I know when you get to like 20th level, there's this thing called perfect self and that very much like emulates the overall ability of the monk. Like you are trying to find your perfect self. You're trying to become the perfect being that you can. And so maybe as part of your world, you specifically focus on the discipline of the body to become the perfect picturesque person that your monastic tradition is telling you you need to become because of the discipline of your body.
0: I imagine a monastery that is focused on the discipline of one's body would be a very, uh, I think all monasteries should have an element of this, but be a very, very difficult place to train and to become a monk. Like I imagine young children who are at that monastery, just their masters constantly bringing them out to the yard to train with them and just whooping their butt, just like not going easy on them at all in an effort to train them (laughs) to discipline themselves and to take a punch and to be able to give a punch, but they're not just going to let them punch them. Like they have to earn it and they have to study the form and almost like it being this version of training that the student may, when they're first brought on, they may like completely hate their master until they understand, oh, this is the only way that I would have learned. Right. And then there also can be monasteries that are, Chris talked about, about the philosophy, and there are a lot of monasteries that might be focused on philosophy and knowledge and scholarship. They might be monasteries that even look or are giant libraries, and so these monks may not be actually concerned about disciplining their bodies. But what they're concerned about is disciplining their minds and learning about whether it's a certain subject or many different subjects. Or maybe, as Hindu is shaking his head and uh, he's typing, he says, the discipline of bringing your mind at peace. Thank you, Hindu. We appreciate that.
1: Well, I also think, too, like you you said this a little bit about the deities as well. I almost imagine you could have a sect of, like, librarians. Like, they're the monks that protect this knowledge. And if somebody comes and, like, invades an area— They're the ones that are like, all right, we need to protect this library because this is history, you know, like when people invade countries, one of the first things that they do is they get rid of all of the knowledge of people's past because it disorients people once they're in a specific area for a while. They don't remember who they are. They don't remember the things that have happened in their culture or whatever. And so maybe these people are the monastic tradition that protects knowledge you know maybe somebody comes and attacks or there's secret books somewhere that have the knowledge in case something like that is ever done where they try to destroy all knowledge of a specific culture i think those could be really interesting aspects to take in as a monk as well
0: maybe they're living in a country where whatever the ruling authorities are have banned so many types of books because they don't want books that they believe, would incite rebellion or whatever it is. And so this monastic order is completely put in place there because they're protecting and keeping safe the books that the government wants to burn and get rid of every single one. And they believe that these are books that deserve to make it through (laughs) and to be kept around. And so that's what they are. It's like the protecting of the artifacts or the text, but it's it's not like text from a god. It's just text from... Authors that the government has said, no, you can't read this. I tell you what. I would not want to have a late fee for one of these <laughs>
1: yeah right like,
0: They're oh you have a late fee well quivering palm <laughs> yeah <laughs> it Tool makes punch. me th- <laughs> it makes
1: me think of fahrenheit 451 so much like what you were talking about where they have the firefighters that come in and they're not to put out fires like the government is there trying to burn all yeah. of the books and get rid of them and people hide them in their vents and things like that like that's what i imagine these people are doing is <laughs> trying to protect the mm-hmm. forbidden books or whatever it's really interesting you could also have monks that could could be part of the nation, like it could be a national sect. A nation has decided that these are some of our best and most well-trained fighters that we have. They're able to sneak, they're able to do a lot of damage. Maybe there's an, an invading nation who the people of the nation that's being attacked need their realm protected, and so they send out their best shadow monks. That can sneak into the camp and do away with or assassinate these leaders in order to cause chaos. And in so doing, they help protect their realm. They help protect the secrets of their nation from people that would try and defend them. Almost like the, uh, like I think of like the Secret Service, like these monks (laughs) are the ones that are standing around the president as he's giving his speech and things like that. Like you could have the monastic tradition be a sect that is a part of your nation Hmm. within your world as well.
0: So as DMs with players that might be choosing to role play as monks, I think monks, just like in our previous episode with paladins, monks offer such great role-playing opportunities. And as DMs, I think that it is our job to help our players sometimes even think about role-playing opportunities that they might not even be thinking. So 5th edition doesn't have a specific rule about this. It talks about it in the player's handbook, but... In past editions, like, I believe in 3.5, as a monk, you were not allowed to actually own pretty much of anything. You weren't allowed to have material possessions besides the clothes on your back and the quarterstaff to your name. It was very restrictive, and that was kind of forcing upon players. Like, if you're going to be a monk, you need to not like this. Now, I like that 5th edition doesn't say that is a rule. However... Some people loved that about older editions because it was like, oh, this is a cool thing to role play a character who is not interested in material possessions. That's interesting. And you might want to bring that up to players who choose monks like even just ask so old edition said that monks didn't really care for material possessions in fact they pretty much swore them off is that something that your monk believes in do they believe in if they're asked for the cloak off their back by a stranger that they'll give it to them is that their mindset of how the world works and i think that can be something that some players will have a fantastic time playing with a character that does not care about material possessions
1: well and I think too, even throughout the course of a campaign, you could present them with the potential to have material possessions and if they're not yeah. in their monastery around constant persuasion that material possessions are not the thing we should focus on, maybe they falter a little maybe bit. Maybe it's a temptation, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe they have like that one thing that's their material possession mm-hmm. and then it goes missing. Yeah. Or it's stolen in some way. Like what does that then all of a sudden provoke within your player you know you could there's so many things that you could create within a monk based around their material possessions
0: yeah maybe they were an orphaned as a child and so they have a trinket from their childhood that they are not supposed to, from their order, have any type of material possessions, and they are were supposed to do away with any upon their training, but maybe they kept that one item, that one trinket hidden, and that is more valuable to them than a bag of 500 gold, whatever it is, like they will hold on to this, and the role-playing opportunities that can go into that if they were to lose it or whatnot you can also like with adventuring parties like they don't need to go i don't want any part of the gold and watch as the other players divide up the gold i remember flawful jared played a monk one time and what he would do with his gold is he would take his his share and then he'd go out into the city and he would spread it among the poor and he would help people that were in need because that is what his monk decided to do with the possessions That he had earned. He didn't want to keep it for himself. He wanted to help others. And that's something that you can encourage a player to who wants to take this kind of path. Like, hey, well, have you thought about this? Would your monk do this kind of thing with the gold? Like, instead of not taking it, would he do this?
1: And I think, too, another interesting thing that we should think about and ways that we can help promote role-playing with monks is you could involve their monastery that they trained with as a child. Like, I think about maybe your monastery has rules of conduct, and so maybe you have them write them out on an old piece of paper, and they carry that around with them. And if it's something that would interfere with their rules of conduct, they can't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be something that they are so disciplined in their monastery that You present them with something that's a little bit gray that goes against their rules of conduct, and they really have to think about it. Like, they really have to weigh the options of okay, is this something that I'm willing to forsake my monastic tradition and the rules of conduct that they've presented to me to go and do something? that may be seen as unforgivable because I broke those types of things. You could also have something happen to their monastery where, say, they go out into the town for whatever reason. Maybe they're running an errand for the monastery master and they come back and it's burned to the ground and they have to figure out what in the world happened here. Or maybe somebody betrays their monastic tradition and you're sent to hunt them down and find them. I mean, there's so many things that you could do. Maybe the monastery gives you a specific quest while you're out with the group that you have to fulfill in order to come back type of thing. There's there's a lot of different things that you could incorporate from the monastery that these people were trained at, whether it was they were a child or if they were an adult. Now,
0: when we started the voyage on the Unending Sea campaign with Sanjin, we didn't really go into Sanjin's past life with a monastery and what monastery he originally trained at or whatever. It was understood that he had been on this ship as a member of the crew for quite a while now. However, one thing I have wondered about is that if sanjen survives this journey and if they make it to a new land or if they make it back to the old land, whatever it is, I've wondered if Sanjen with his this voyage that has gone on for a long time and he's seen some terrible things that has made him really Gain perspective a different perspective On life and how you live life I've wondered if Sanjin had any desire To begin a monastery himself
1: Oh, you're very good. You're asking questions to help with an epilogue. I like it. You're following hey, our that, own advice right? from past episodes. Yeah. Yeah, he, if you I've, survive I've, I've, Yeah, right. <laughs> if you don't just I, fall off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've thought about that and uh yeah, I think it would be something that he would start a hmm. monastery of some sorts because of the things that he's experienced. Because essentially he left the monastery because he didn't really find satisfaction in what he found there. Like he was like, I their philosophy on life is great, but I think I need to discover my own because it's not their philosophy on life is not fulfilling me to the potential of what I thought it was going to and so he went out on his own to help discover his own philosophy on life and so at the end there will probably be a book written. I don't know if he knows how to write. I'm not sure. I don't know. We can figure that out. But he's going to write a book of some oh, sort or have somebody write a book for him, <laughs> uh, start a monastery if he survives, of course. Look at that. And Hindu is giving you a big smile and two thumbs
0: up this time.
1: <laughs> Even though I deserted the monastic tradition I came from?
0: Uh, he's What's he typing? He says, life is a path that you must follow no matter what the road brings you to. Interesting. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but you're playing a monk, so it's like a fortune cookie. Yeah. Sometimes you don't understand what it is. <laughs> Two thumbs up again from <laughs> <laughs> Uh I mean, so as if you have players who are playing monk characters, you want to, as the DM, you want to present things that are going to interfere that are going to interfere with their structured. Lifestyle. If they're monks that are isolated, you want to involve their neighbors. Sometimes the in the form of a traveling adventure group, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, this is something that I very, very much have grasped onto for The Voyage of the Sea. Of course, there are more players than just you, Chris, but I definitely think when I'm creating story for the campaign for us to play through, I'm often wondering how things will affect Sonjen and what his perspective will be and how this will interfere with his thinking and if it will interfere if it will make his thinking of whatever he believes stronger i mean the noggle coming back to life and i wouldn't say rightfully so but blaming you for his death because in his words you promised him that he would live which was not what happened (laughs) right i wondered how that would interfere with your structured lifestyle
1: yeah see i more thought of it as like it didn't really affect me that he said that mm-hmm. because I tried. tried like it it wasn't my final decision I took it more as I hope this gets through like I hope I was a voice of reason and now yeah. the players are seeing the ramifications of their decisions I hope they see that I was actually right in this situation and that we need to live a life that is preserving life everywhere no matter yeah. who it is no matter what tradition you come from life is precious and they should treat it as such <laughs> I don't know if that necessarily came through with them uh, but you know that's, that's one thing that Sanjin has decided in his philosophy that that's a very important part of his way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I wonder if Sanjin had, and we've talked about this before, but had found out about the cannibalism that was going on. <laughs> like, that would have absolutely interfered with the structure of his lifestyle. And I can't even imagine what would have happened with Sanjin. I, I wonder if Sanjin had found out about the cannibalism. I feel like just from knowing your character from you playing, I feel like that would be the closest Sanjin could get to being filled with rage to kill somebody and hopefully he'd hold back
1: but i have had a plan in my mind that if there was something so vile that happened on the ship the next inhabitable island or whatever it was that Sanjin had he Mm -hmm. would probably get off yeah because he would have realized that and it would probably be the first time that i've ever had a character that ended a campaign because he didn't die Hmm. At this point in the campaign, that has been my mindset that if something so vile were to happen, which if cannibalism came out, that that's what was happening, he would try and get as far away from this as possible because he can't stand to be like that is that is the point where all hope is lost. For this group yeah. like he couldn't do anything to help them anymore he will have felt like his time was wasted here and he's found his main purpose in life and now he has to get off of the ship because <laughs> he can't stand it he can't stand to be around that type of act
0: that would be sad for me because i am interested in an epilogue night with sonjen but of course he has to survive and he has to do what he has to do so we'll see
1: see i would take it as a player and i'd be like that's the most fantastic thing that's ever happened <laughs> to one of my players because How many people can say that their character walked away from a campaign because he couldn't get along with them? And our players are mature enough to understand that it's not me that's hating them for it. It's, this is how Sonjen was created. This is what he, you know, this is his way of thinking. Like, he can't be around this. I would be okay with that. I would be more than okay with that. I'm actually, at times, I've caught myself hoping for that (laughs) because it would be so memorable for me as a character. Like this is he couldn't stand being around this Mm -hmm. and so his way of dealing with it was walking away Hmm, interesting we'll have to see where that goes that doesn't mean for those of you that haven't heard story time yeah that doesn't mean go and do that, Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean create something to that effect that makes Sanjin walk away uh, no, because it would be most not. memorable for me. Well, well,
0: like I said, that's like I have a planned story. And right now we are further ahead in story times that have aired than you have played in, Chris. However, there's a story written out. There's a path that's being taken. And along the way, the players change that. And yeah, I personally don't want to see it happen. But if that's what sanjen
1: does, that's what Sanjin does. So we'll have to see if that is what
0: Sanjin does.
1: <laughs> uh. I think another thing that you can do, and you alluded to this a little bit about involving the people's neighbors or having them come in. Like monks are very, very protective of their friends and of their neighbors and things like that. And in the player's handbook, it says if something were to happen to people's neighbors, so say you live in a monastery and you have a really good friend who lives next door who, for whatever, you know, they could be the town baker or they could be a farmer or, you know, whatever, maybe just a lay person, and something happens to them, whether it's orcs come down or goblins come down from the mountains and attack their family and kill them all, or they're very mortally wounded, or they're stolen from, and now like, like they've infringed upon your friends and your neighbor's life. Monks would be very apt to go and do something about that because they're very, very protective of the friendships and the neighbors that they have. And they don't take those bonds lightly. And so I think that can create really, really unique and interesting role-playing moments for your monk characters that you have in your campaigns.
0: And last, when you're having a player at the table who is playing a monk, the fifth edition DMG specifically says that yes, monks will travel away from their order to travel with adventurers, but usually they're doing it to fulfill some sort of purpose and that they take that purpose very, very seriously. And so if you have a player who is playing a monk, ask them, talk to them about, hey, why is your monk traveling with this group of adventurers? It may be something that is very, very obvious. Well, they are. Going along to try and stop this evil. It may be something a lot deeper that there's a reason there, but talk to them about it. Figure it out with them and find out what it is that their monk character is going along with this adventuring group. Why is it? And the more that you get to know your PCs that your players are playing as a DM, the better opportunities you will have as a DM to feed them a story that they love and to give them elements of the story that they're able to latch onto and role play through.
1: And I think one thing to think about, too, is monks can make really, really good NPCs for a various number of reasons. But so the last thing we want to talk about is monks being a part of your group as an NPC or a DMPC. You can find them and use them in various different roles. If your group really needs somebody to be like a fighter, you know, normally we just we move to a place where we just say, all right, fighter, we'll we'll throw in a fighter who can you know swing a sword or whatever maybe instead we think about using a monk who can fill that role as the dmpc or it can be for a knight that comes in and is used as an npc and isn't seen any any longer you could use them as stealth you could use them as a tank because they're able to dodge things rather well you can use them in a lot of various different areas that most times we don't normally think of using monks in
0: A Monk NBC also that if you have an important Monk NBC in your campaign, they can be the person who helps someone find their way. Like think of that Mr. Miyagi type character. Yeah, right. But also I think of it doesn't even have to be someone who's very important in your campaign like a monk could be especially if you have a person in your group that's playing a monk you might want to incorporate their master in their group and that would be a very important npc that could speak wisdom into the life of that character but it doesn't have to be even a very important character if you can think of the right thing to say maybe one of your characters the pcs have been struggling with something maybe they meet a wandering monk along the road and they have a very brief conversation and the monk says. As one simple thing that you're trying to get them to think about something that's been going on in the campaign and to help them out like it doesn't even have to be an NPC that stays with the adventure for a long time it could be something that just shows up and maybe it's some words of wisdom maybe it's a hint at something that they have learned in their travels but a monk could be a good voice of reason NPC. yeah
1: i also think you could have a monk NPC show up for any of the reasons that we proposed earlier for role-playing moments for your players i mean they could be somebody who's Really struggling with the material possessions that they have, or they're just becoming a monk. And so they walk up to your group and just hand them a whole bunch of material possessions for some reason. And that could be a moment where your players are like, uh, what just happened here? (laughs) Like, why did we just get handed all of this person's material possessions or whatever? Or, yeah, like you said, you could involve them as their sensei or their master or whatever you want heads of monasteries to be called in your world. You could have your group meet a monk and they purposely interrupt the structured life of this monk and so that could either be really really good for your players or it could end up really really badly for your players so i think any of the reasons that we listed previously in the episode for role-playing moments could be incorporated into your npc that people just randomly come ag- come across
0: and of course it depends on your dming style and it depends on the adventure you're in and the land that you're in in either your homebrew world or the world that you're playing in but i would I would say that in my experience with DMing and with others who DM that monks as NPCs are a more rare appearance that you're not constantly meeting monks along your way. And I think part of that is because monks spend a lot of the times, whether it's isolated in the wilderness or even in town monks spend most of their times in their monastery like it talks about monks adventures it's something that happens but it has to be something really important for them to leave their monastery they are very very secluded in staying in their monastery and so meeting a monk npc can be a rare thing for your players and so when it happens, there usually is this moment of intrigue for your players of, oh, we're meeting a monk. Well, that's interesting. They might want to know about their philosophy or their fighting skills or whatever it is. And that being said, as the DM, if you're going to introduce a monk, like have, have some sort of background for him, understand who he is as a person and his philosophy in the way that he would interact with the players in your group. Anyway, that's all that we have for you on Monks and our talk about Monks this week. We want to give a special thank you to Hindu for joining us and all the awesome thumbs up and smiles that he gave to us throughout uh, the episode. He's typing
1: to us right now, and he says, thank you for being such a great audience. He's glad that he <laughs> could be here and hopes he can come back again sometime when he yeah. can actually speak. Hindu, so- do you
0: have a Twitter account that they can follow you at? Oh, he's shaking his head no. Uh, Facebook? No. Uh, he's typing... And he says... This is the only computer that my monastery has, and I'm only able to be on it for two hours a year. Whoa! You're not wow. very connected there, Hinju. Yeah, no,
1: I can completely understand that you don't want to waste your time on Facebook and Twitter.
0: Well, we appreciate that you gave your two hours of your year up for the Dungeon Master's block. It's great that we were able to get you on for this show. So,
1: thank you, Hinju, for being on. He's he's waving goodbye to everybody. So, Oh, speaking of role-playing moments, Hinju, you could just leave your monastery and your structured life and come join us yeah.
0: Oh, he he just
1: ended the call. Oh, <laughs> I guess he no, didn't like right. that. <laughs> all right.
0: I he guess probably that won't wasn't be joining us again. Enough for him. <laughs> he probably. Sorry won't about be that. Ju- <laughs> you might have just ruined it for us, Chris. Uh, oh well. Well, we thank you, Hindu, even though you're gone for joining us.
1: They've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That
0: right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? we am dying to talk about the mail for you all day. Okay. So welcome back to another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, the place where we share ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. So we've got an email here today. Chris, who's our email
1: from? This email, and I love our listeners because they have some pretty awesome names. Some great names. <laughs> it, it is from DM Big Spoon. <laughs> and DM Big Spoon nice. is writing in about, a, an, about an idea that he has that he would want a little bit more clarification on and possibly have us do a little bit of brainstorming to help him out. So his idea is... Two allied countries meet every year for war games, with the parties split playing against each other in the games. As assassinations of one of the sides' kings brings the players together, they have to stop an all out war and bring the murderer to justice. Or, on the other hand, these complete opposite nations go to war, and you have this group of people that are brought together who now are from evil or from rival countries who might hate each other or they might still want to work together to bring peace to each other's countries. So his question is, can you help me with some ideas to get this party started? So for me, this type of scenario,
0: to me, speaks to a very noir type of D&D game, where you have a split group of PCs that are both from different countries, and now... With this assassination of one of the side's kings, there's obviously going to be such tension. But you have this group that is in charge of figuring out who the assassin was. And they're going to be following along for clues and they're going to be interrogating people. And I really like that idea of taking a noir type scenario and putting it into a D&D campaign and having it be. I mean, you could you can even have the, the players start talking like they were the classic detectives and like keeping journals. And that'd be fantastic. But to me, like I have this envision of they're working together. And every NPC they find along the way, they're going to have tensions with, and and their bosses are going to be high up, maybe even part of the royalty of each side of the country. And they're going to be clearly at each other's throats, but they're holding off until the investigation is brought to light and they figure out who exactly was the assassin. But just this idea of going around, investigating figuring out clues and one of the best parts of interrogating people and chasing down potential suspects that that seems like a great campaign idea to me
1: the idea that i had in my mind is both of these people are spies from their respected Mm. sides and both of them are going in now that these two sides hate each other they're going in and trying to figure out what really happened but these two these four people or five people or whatever have known each other for a really long time. And they don't believe that each other's countries, were the ones that did it. And so what they're doing is they're required to come back with certain amounts of Intel to bring to their country. And they have to make a decision. They have to decide, okay, are we going to bring them real Intel while we're trying to figure out who actually killed the King? Are we going to lie to our own country in an effort to bring real justice to this thing? Or are we going to bring actual intel that is going to harm our friends on the other side? Like, that would be an interesting element to bring in. You have your players now lying to their country. If they're found out, they're going to be killed, which is a very risky thing to do when PCs lie to the government. Yeah. Or you have actual intel that is going to harm your friends and possibly you know, bring an end to that person's country and possibly the other PC's life. Like it's it's sticking yourselves between the <laughs> the horns of the bull and having to decide, you know, which which element of the moral dilemma are you going to take? Are you going to harm your friends potentially or are you going to stick your own life in danger to protect your friends and bring real justice to the situation that's going on? I think that would be a really interesting campaign to be a part of, having to make those hard decisions.
0: I really like your idea of spies. That gave me the idea of what if in Character Creation Night you had separate time with each of the groups. Like this is the, the half of the group that's from this one country and this is the half of the group from the other country. Or you just set it up that you had a, a secret discussion with, say you've got four players and you have two from one country and two from the other. You, ex- you talk to the other two players and you're like, you're not actually from this country. You're from the other country, but like you are, like you said, Chris spies. And so as far as the other two are concerned, you are from their country. And so you start off with like two of the players, they have integrated themselves into the other country. And so they're trusted by the two people. They are, they are secret agents from the other side, going along with them, trying to see what is actually happening. But that's a way to bring a group of potential enemies together. And eventually that secret's going to come out, whether in a good way or a bad way. And that to me, like, I really like that idea. I do have to put a disclaimer on that that you have to oh, know yeah. your group. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. And because anytime you set it up that there could be potential fights between PCs, you have to make sure that you have a, a mature enough group that they would see this as a really cool thing. And not something to want to punch the other player in the face over. But that's, that seems really cool to me. And that's I, I love that you brought that up. Because that was something that I thought of after that.
1: So thank you very much DM Big Spoon. First of all awesome name. But we hope that this has helped you out. In figuring out how to do a campaign. Where you potentially have two warring kingdoms. And an assassination. And... How thick and deep that plot can go uh, is just just absolutely astounding. So we hope that those ideas have helped you get some direction and clarity in that area.
0: That's all we have for today on the Dungeon Masters block. Chris, if they would like to email us and talk to us about monks that they have played, monks that are players in their campaign, stories about monks or anything Dungeons & Dragons or anything, anything else where can they reach us
1: at yeah you can send us a email at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com we would love to read your stories and we will respond to them as quickly as we can you can also go and leave us an itunes review leave us a five star review and you will get a special super awesome shout out yeah. at the very beginning of the episode like our two reviews today and you can also find us on podcast addict and stitcher and various other podcasting apps
0: you can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can like our Facebook page. We are able to be on our computers more than two hours a year. So we will be constantly using both of those places to give you updates about the show, upcoming episodes, D&D memes, and D&D goodness
1: all around. We have a special Patreon dragon to announce this week. And this week's Patreon dragon is... Rick Sharp. Thank you very much, Rick Sharp. You are one of the sharpest Patreon (laughs) dragons we have out there. You are one of the Rick. Patreon
0: dragon. Okay, I'll stop.
1: (laughs) Rick is a very sharp-looking silver dragon, so fear him when he flies through the sky. Rick is probably going to stop being a Patreon dragon now because we've said sharp (laughs) so many times, but thank you so much, Rick sharp, Sharp, for your support. We greatly appreciate
0: it. Yes. So that's all we have for you today on the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, Killing all the characters. And lowering all the egos of all the people at the table. Have a good night, everyone. Keep on dungeon mastering.